Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church Online. I don't know about you, but uh, as a kid, I played a lot of games at my grandparents' house. My grandfather, uh, he would like pitch baseballs to me in the backyard, wiffle balls, but still, he would just pitch. He was a pitching machine and I loved going back there uh, just to take batting practice. And my grandmother, we were around the kitchen table constantly playing games. Let me see if you can recognize some of these games. Uh, wherever you are, just shout out what the name of this game is because we didn't pronounce it that way. We pronounced it skaboo. Did you pronounce it skaboo? I have come in contact with so many people who call it skaboo. I don't know why a lot of people, like we just can't read apparently. Skip, bow, I love this game. How about this game right here? Dutch Blitz. Does anybody play Dutch Blitz? Listen, nobody knows how to party like the Dutch. That's what I've learned from this game. Uh, I don't know if that's true actually. It, uh, it's uh, a game that it's very plain, but people absolutely love it. Uh, one of my all-time classics, all-time favorites, Uno. This is like an original box. This was like the deck that I played at my grandparents' house. It says right here, A Family Card Game. And then it progressed a little bit to just the card game because I think it broke families apart with uh, somebody was always losing their mind around Uno. And then the latest iteration, uh, it actually says now with customizable wild cards. Like, do you know what customizable wild cards means? They might as well just slap a sticker on here that says now with more family crushing fun, fun than ever before. Like families are just hating each other the more craziness they insert in these games. But I'm telling you, as a kid, nothing was more difficult than the game of Monopoly. Monopoly was so hard. I would go sit at my grandmother's house and I would play games with her. And then every once in a while, she'd, she'd bring out the Monopoly. And I got to tell you about my grandmother. She's so sweet. She's so generous. She was a snack giver. Like uh, anytime I needed a snack, she'd bring me a snack. And she had cookies and candy. It was just constantly available. She was so absolutely sweet and generous. Uh, and and when, when the Monopoly board game would come out, I'm telling you, there's something about sweet old ladies that just turn into ruthless mortgage lenders. Like she was the worst landlord ever. She took, she took no restraint on destroying a nine-year-old at Monopoly. And I got to tell you, as a nine-year-old, that game was so hard to understand because Monopoly is so much more than just rolling dice and, and traveling around the board. Like, until you realize that Monopoly is all about, like, acquiring properties and building houses and hotels and, and then watching intently until somebody lands on your property so you can go, gotcha, grandma, rent! Like, that's like inside, I just wanted to yell it all the time, but she would crush me. The rules of the game were complex, especially for a little nine-year-old. But I'm telling you, once you understand the rules of the game, like, you can leverage the rules and build strategies so that you can work toward getting what you want. And when you're playing a game, like, the rules actually make sense because the rules work in favor of both sides, uh, everybody who's playing, right? I mean, it, it helps things remain fair and it keeps some level of, you know, reasonability uh, in the way that we play with each other. But for some people, like, that's the way their walk with Jesus is like. You know, far too many Christians see their faith as something that's guided by rules and laws and mandates. And that's exactly what's happening in the passage we're in today. If you've got uh, a Colossians journal, if you've got your Bible, uh, why don't you turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to jump right in to verse 16. And what Paul is doing is he is urging the church in Colossae to avoid being ruled 
by rules. He wants them to uh, uh, put all of their trust and their hope and their favor in Jesus, not uh, following rules in such a way that they would win any favor from God. So if you have your Bible, I hope you're there. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 say this, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regards to food and drink or in the manner of a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. You know, these four things that Paul mentions, he's mentioning food and drink, he's, he's mentioning festivals and new moon and the Sabbath. And, and these were all religious like regulations and practices from the Old Testament. But following these rules and regulations, they didn't make somebody greater. These rules and regulations, they actually pointed to someone greater. All of these things were a reminder or uh, something that would reveal who God is and what he was doing and, and even what he was going to do. You know, food, uh, diets, uh, they were very special to Jews in the Old Testament. It was symbolic of their holiness. It was an indicator uh, of them being separate. Uh, there were restrictions on different types of animals and foods that they could eat. And it pointed to their holiness and their purity. And we can look forward to see that really our holiness and purity is provided by Jesus. It was a, it was a thing to come, but they were doing it as a, as a symbol. You know, the Old, Ta Old Testament it laid out a list of like animals that were considered clean, which meant you could eat them, and unclean, which meant stay away from them. But then in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders, and you know, they're leaning into him, talking about, you know, food and dietary restrictions and what was important. And Jesus just says, are you kidding me? I am more concerned with your heart than with your stomach. And in that moment, he just declared all foods clean. You know, there's wisdom in staying away from certain foods, right? And, and only enjoying certain foods in, in limited quantities, right? Uh, all pork was off limits in the Old Testament. We don't have to stay away from pork, right? Is, is pork okay to eat today? Absolutely it is, especially in Iowa. Uh, we're not giving that up. But if you did, it would be fine as long as you didn't force everybody else to give it up. You know, you and I, we're free to eat it. We're free to even follow those dietary restrictions if we want to. But they're not going to provide any more favor for us in God's eyes. The festivals like uh, Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles and other festivals, they were uh, like in instituted as a, a remembrance of how God was dealing with Israel. And it was a foreshadow of Jesus, the person to come. For example, uh, in Passover, you know, the lamb that was sacrificed for the Jews is what Jesus has done on the cross for us today. Uh, that festival pointed to something greater, something greater to come. The new moon was an observance of Jewish tradition. It marked the beginning of a new month. Uh, and, and a lot of uh, special occasions were marked by the new moon and feasting. Uh, and it was a reminder of God's faithfulness and provision. As that full moon came, it was a reminder of God's fulfillment and consistency and faithfulness in Christ. And in the Sabbath day, like you rest on the seventh day, right? You rest on the Sabbath day. The observance of the Sabbath was intended as a day of rest and a day of worship, but it also uh, is a sign that points to the rest that you and I receive in the person of Jesus. The Sabbath is actually fulfilled in the person of Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, 
all who are weary and burdened. I love this. If you are working for your salvation or if people are putting unnecessary rules on you, I want you to come to me, Jesus says, because if you are weary and burdened because you are working for uh, God's favor on your own, he says, I will give you rest. We find our rest in the person of Jesus. Jesus isn't talking about a good night's sleep or a weekend getaway. He's talking about getting away from working for God's approval in our life. You know, it's our human default to find our identity in, in achievements or in our career or in relationships or how much money we make. And, and in any of those areas, it, you might find yourself chasing for approval and validation and love and security. And, and you know that as you're chasing all of those things, it is exhausting. And when you're chasing those things and you don't achieve them, it's discouraging. You know, maybe your walk with Jesus is it's a little more like chasing those things. Maybe your walk with Jesus, it looks like you chasing for his approval and his validation and his love and his security. If, if your validation in Jesus is based on how good you are, you know, this passage is for you today. If that's true for you, I'm telling you, you're going to wind up discouraged and exhausted every single day of your life. You're going to wind up weary. You're going to wind up burdened. Uh, and the outcome is exhaustion. And it is impossible because you and I fall short every single time. You know, the rules don't make you right with God. Getting right with God makes you live by new rules. So rules aren't bad, but using rules for God's approval and favor, that's not what they're there for. You know, living a legalistic lifestyle, it doesn't earn you anything. And ultimately, it's going to leave you spiritually and emotionally exhausted. You know, when Jesus says, come to me, he's inviting us to relocate the center of our lives, to put him right there. And we no longer have to prove ourselves because we're already fully known. We're already fully loved. We're already fully covered because of what Jesus has done. That's what it means to find rest in Christ. The Sabbath was a shadow of something to come. And that something was Jesus. Jesus is the substance. Look back at our verse. Uh, these all things, these all, they're all shadows, which you can't grab, you can't hold, you can't really touch a shadow. But the shadow is pointing to the figure that's casting the shadow. You know, Colossians 2, 16 and 17 talks about people who just have so many rules for other people. You know, and then we look at these celebrations and regulations. I'm telling you, they're not meant to, to get to God, but to show us our need for him. You know, each of these practices, they're just shadows. Jesus is the substance. And Paul tells the church, don't fall for it. Don't fall for being ruled by rules. Don't fall into a pattern of, of like grasping for the shadow when you can actually run toward and to the substance. Look at verse 18. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. These things are not good. This isn't even people who are trying to push like things that were like useful and good at one time. These are people just bringing extra things into to whatever's here. Like ascetic practices just means people are really kind of limiting themselves and punishing themselves for, for no reason, like depriving themselves in, in like ridiculous ways. I had a couple of friends like this in college. Uh, they, they had like high-end sleeping bags. I went to school in downtown Chicago, and on the coldest night of winter, these guys said, we're gonna, we hear this terrible snowstorm's coming into town. We're gonna sleep 
in our sleeping bags and nothing else with the windows wide open. We had giant windows in our dorm room and these guys, they were just bundled up like even their faces. They just could hardly see out of their sleeping bags and uh, they woke up several times. They told us they never got out of the sleeping bags. They just tried to endure through it. They were painstakingly punished during their all nighter in their dorm room together. Uh, they woke up in the morning and they like I was just happened to be in the hallway passing by. They opened the door to just kind of go to the bathroom and as they they opened the door to the, like this rush of cold air and snow like billowed out into the hallway and I'm like what are you guys doing they're like we got these really cool sleeping bags and we wanted to try them out I'm like that's ridiculous they, they were just punishing themselves to prove that they could do it now these guys didn't do what they did to bring themselves closer to God but that's exactly what what these men in this church were doing. They, they were limiting, unnecessarily limiting what they could experience and do, whether it was food, relationship, hygiene. They were showing everybody how much they could sacrifice. And, and Paul is saying that's just ridiculous because having a relationship with Jesus absolutely involves sacrifice, but false humility and self-denial is not a sacrifice that God is honoring. So, some people, they were claiming to get more of God uh, because of the unnecessary limitations they were putting on themselves, while others were claiming to get more of God because they were experiencing or they were telling people they were experiencing extra things that they were just adding to their life. Now, notice Paul doesn't say any of these foods and festivals and the Sabbath is bad. He's just saying, don't put your faith and hope in doing those things for favor with God. He's not condemning the food and the festivals, but he is condemning these mystical practices. He's like, worshiping angels is garbage. Scripture talks about not doing that. In Revelation, uh, John, he's writing and he sees an angel. He falls down to worship the angel because he's a little confused. The angel says, stop, I am not one to be worshiped. Like, we are co-laborers. Like, this is, this is crazy, Paul is saying. Uh, so, uh, you know, these people are claiming to have spiritual access and hidden knowledge, and that's actually not spiritual at all. It's, it's unspiritual, and like Paul says, these are empty notions. You know, our access to God, it comes through Christ alone. And if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, I would love it if you just remember these three things, because we're going to keep it simple. Uh, in keeping it simple, following Jesus, a life with God, if you really want to know what spirituality truly is, it's worshiping Jesus, it's walking by faithful obedience with Jesus, and it's loving others. That's all it is. It's loving God, it's loving others, and it's walking in faithful obedience. And, and these uh, false teachers in this church, they were just making things so complicated. But these complications, that's not real spirituality according to Scripture. Paul warns us that rigid rules and restrictions and regulations and, and all of these claims of special access to God, they appear spiritual, but they're deception. You know, the false teachers that are promoting such things are, are distorting the priority. And Paul explains this in verse 19. He says, they don't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. Now, I don't know if you're reading that, if that feels a little jumbled up and confused, but uh, let, me tell, let me put it this way. Uh, this summer, I went to the Pizza Ranch with about 20 or 30 middle school students, and it was fantastic. And I'm telling you, uh, guys on one side of Pizza Ranch, girls were on the other side. It was a classic middle school event, and the boys did something that I have never seen anybody do before in my life, and I got to tell you, it was fantastic. It was fantastic, 
and a little disturbing. I had just seen these boys back and forth from the buffet bar and what they were doing is they were bringing back plates of chicken and just more deep fried chicken and they weren't wasting any of the chicken. They were all standing around a single table and they were eating every morsel of meat off of every piece of chicken. And I walked over them like, what is going on? And these young men were reassembling a full-size chicken. They just had chicken skeleton bones, like, and they're like, get a wing, we don't have the wings. And kids are like running out and they're grabbing deep fried wings and they're eating the wings. And then I, w I took a picture, I can't find the picture, I wanna show you the picture so badly. You can imagine it, it was a little gross, but so very cool. It was super creative, but I'm telling you, that chicken wasn't coming back. It wasn't coming back because there were no chicken heads at the buffet bar, but also because it was deep fried and delicious. Like that chicken, it was gone. And Paul, he actually provides uh, an oddly similar warning here. He says extra biblical pseudo-spiritual practices, they're just, they're just a dead end. Jesus is the way. He says there is no other way. We remain connected to Christ who is the head of the church. You know, separating ourselves from Jesus would be like body parts being disconnected from the head, right? I mean, you, you lose your head or you lose a limb, your, your limb is going to lose all of its nourishment. Uh, there's no hope for health and there's no hope for growth. Paul is saying this mystical experiences, they're just a dead end because they're not Christ and Christ alone. Look at verses 20 and 21. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are the regulations Paul's talking about. They know, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And again, these are all external devices. Jesus has constantly been saying, as well as the Old Testament, that you and I, we're to guard our hearts. Jesus is more interested in the heart while everybody else is saying, I'm watching what you're doing. I'm watching what you're tasting. I'm watching what you're touching. And it's not about what we can do. It's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's happening in our hearts on the inside. It's so easy to slip back into to these old practices, though. Paul's saying, if you're following Jesus, why are you still following the world? Because those old practices are familiar, aren't they? They're kind of like, like an old hoodie. You just love that old hoodie. It's just so easy to put back on. It's kind of it's comfortable. Maybe it's old. Maybe it's gross. Maybe you've been told to get rid of it. But it is just something you gravitate back toward. You know, from experience, we know that buying more stuff, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fill us, but we keep trying, right? And, and the busyness of life and the distractions to take our mind off of things, it really doesn't bring peace. But still, we fill our days with more stuff and more screens and more hurry. Uh, we try to grasp more money. We, we want more likes on social media. And at the, the next promotion in our job or achievement we get, you know, we're hoping somehow it's going to make us feel more alive, more valuable, more affirmed. But it always leaves us a little more drained, wanting more. Because any satisfaction that we find in those things is, is only and always temporary. You know, Paul reminds these Christians that, that they have to die to all that. They've got to be done with that. Job's not bad. Achievements aren't bad. You know, having great things, it's not bad, but that's not the goal. We've got to die to those things ruling our lives. Their true life is actually hidden and secure. Paul says they are secure in Christ. They don't need all of these externals to bring security to them. And that's true for you and me too. 
If you died with Christ, you get to let go of the illusion that the world is some sort of reward. At best, it's a shallow temporary reward, but it can never save you. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Look what Paul continues in verses 22-23. All of these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. I love this. They're, they're human commands and doctrines, although these have a reputation for wisdom. Like, like it sounds good, and, but it's from humans, and it's not really Scripture. It's not really from Jesus, but these human commands, they kind of sound wise by promoting self-made religion. Religion isn't that, you know, church is religious, right? It's not the same thing. It's false humility. It's filled with, uh, you know, false humility and, you know, severe treatment of the body and not any of the value in curbing self-indulgence comes from any of this. You guys go to Hobby Lobby? Man, I don't shop there enough. Every time I walk in there, I'm like, what? There's got to be some cool stuff for me to find. Like I was in Hobby Lobby not too long ago. I just needed to assemble a project. I was grabbing a whole bunch of things. I had a cart. And I had one item that was like a little more expensive than I wanted to pay. And so when I got up to the register, I do what I always did. I grabbed out my phone and I started searching for that 40% off any one item. That coupon is gold. And I found one and it was like a year and a half old. And then I found another one that was like two years old. And I'm just like struggling. And I did all of the hacks. Like I know how to use the internet. I know how to use coupons. I know how to figure all of the, like I'm, I am scavenging and scouring everywhere on the internet. I can't find a single 40% off coupon. And I get up to the register and I found like one that was maybe nine months old. And I just said, do you honor expired coupons? And she said, no. <laughs> like what? She said, uh, yeah, we stopped giving out the 40% off coupons. I'm like, when? She's like, nine months ago. I was like, whoa, like I have not been at Home Depot or at, <laughs> oh, you were good. I was like, I was like, whoa, I have not been to Hobby Lobby in that long. They're not giving discounts anymore. I mean, there's discounts in the store, but that 40% coupon, it's, listen, it's used up. It's from the past. It served its purpose, and now it's been spent up. You know, and the same goes for all of these regulations that Paul is talking about. They, they're like expired coupons. They've lost their value. This list of do's and don'ts that were once held high over people's heads, they no longer have power. They barely have significance, maybe in the heart, but not for affirmation. There's no eternal value in anything here. They're destined to perish. They're used up like expired coupons. And maybe some of us are leaning into rules a, a little more than we'd like to, or, or maybe we're not even aware of how much we are being ruled by rules. You know, Jesus was clear when he said this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Nobody comes to the Father through how good you are. Nobody comes to the Father because of how kind you are. Nobody comes to the Father because you give enough money to a nonprofit or a church. The only way to experience eternity with God is through the person of Jesus Christ, not anything that we can do. There's no other path. It's not, it's not about what we can do. It's, it's not about what we have done. It's about what Jesus has done. And we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Salvation is absolutely free. Why would you try to earn it? Our only hope is God's grace through faith in Christ alone. This, 
this is, I'm going to bring you some. This is not an exhaustive list, but I've got, I've got five things here. I've got five things that help you know if you're being ruled by rules. And the interesting thing is some of us might be living a legalistic lifestyle and we don't even know it. But some of these might be an indicator for where your heart's at, where your head's at, and how your walk with Jesus is going. Let me pop up these first two back to back. Look at this. Joyless obedience. People who are being ruled by rules are filled with joyless obedience, and some are filled with a sense of superiority from their obedience. You know, joyless obedience is, is this idea of submission without conviction. You know, I do things because I have to do them. I do them because I'm told to do them. I do them because I don't want to get in trouble. I think I'm supposed to do them. And the antidote to joyless obedience is finding your joy in Christ. Look at, look at Psalm 16, verse 11. You reveal the path of life to me. You. I don't work for it. I don't reveal that myself. Like you, God, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. You know, when, when we walk closely with God, he guides us on the path of life. And that path of life is filled with purpose. It's filled with meaning. It's filled with joy. And when you understand God's gift of grace, what Jesus has done for us, you can't help but be overwhelmed with joy. When you realize the debt that you owe has been fully and finally satisfied through the person of Jesus and what he has done on the cross and through his resurrection— you have no choice but to be filled with joy. When you understand the debt you owe and the debt that was paid, you know, have you ever purchased something somewhere and you were just a little short on cash? Or maybe somebody actually paid for a trip or you were the recipient of like an unreasonably large gift for absolutely no reason. In that moment when you didn't have enough money or you forgot your wallet and somebody covered it, you were, I guarantee it, immediately overwhelmed. You were like, how could you do this for me? I'm so thankful. Why would you do this for me? I don't quite understand. Uh, I certainly want to pay you back, but I'm not quite sure how I'm going to pay you back. If that's ever happened to you, I know that there was that maybe, maybe even a goosebump moment where just joy and being overwhelmed welled up inside of you because somebody took care of a little bit of your debt. Imagine if you owed somebody a billion dollars and somebody just paid that debt for no reason. Any of those, any of that is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for you and me by sacrificing his life and giving us the gift of eternity. He's given us grace. He has given us grace, which means he's giving us something that we don't deserve. The other side of joyless obedience is a sense of superiority because of your obedience. Like, you're so good. Do you, know, do you know somebody who is so good at following Jesus? Like, they are better than anybody else. And, uh, and then maybe they even let you know it, right? I mean, they, they read their Bible better than anybody else. They, they pray more than anybody else. They go to church every single week, maybe even sometimes twice a week. They watch other churches online because they just can't get enough of it. You know, they're, they're more generous than everybody else. They're, they're more faithful than everybody else. They're just not more humble than everybody else, Right? Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everybody should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. We don't want our obedience to put blinders over our eyes and make us feel better than other people. Our call 
is to lift other people up, to do life with other people, encourage other people, and keep other people in mind. Having a sense of superiority from obedience, uh, it's not always an external thing. I mean, sometimes you can see it, but I'm telling you, sometimes it's happening on the inside, in the heart. And the way you can gauge that, you have to gauge that. You have to pray about that and gauge that. And one of the ways that you can measure that is, what are you thinking when you come into contact with certain people? Do you feel like do you feel like you have very strong opinions? You're, you're not saying them, so maybe it's not, you don't think it's bad, but it's really happening. Maybe that's a, a connector to, maybe you feel superior to some people. We just want to crush that. You know, the answer here is a combination of grace and humility. Here's a third thing, if you're taking notes. Uh, hypercritical of others. Like, this is paired well with this, and this is paired well with this. Like, if you're hypercritical of other people, uh, you know, having a sense of superiority from obedience is thinking more of yourself, but being hypercritical of others is thinking less of all the people around you. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You just got to bear what other people are bringing sometimes. You just have to muster up that love uh, and, and extend more grace. Like the, the four attitudes that Paul just said uh, here, I'm telling you, need adjusted in my life from time to time. When you find yourself being unnecessarily critical of other people, it's time to hit the pause button and ask, do I really need to be this critical? Do I need to bring more loving correction? Or maybe it's just a problem with my humility or gentleness or patience or my love. You know, if you're being ruled by rules and you're, you're living by those rules so well, or at least you think you're doing so well with the rules, you're either going to have a sense of superiority or you're going to be critical of others. When your life is based on your work, you're always going to be measuring everybody around you. And when everything's about you, it's easy to become arrogant and it's easy to become jealous. That's why staying connected to Jesus is so important. When we see his perfection and, and we realize how we fall short every single time. There's really no choice but to put on humility and to extend grace to, to everybody around us. Here's our five signs. Number four, uh, five signs you're being ruled by rules. Uh, you're going to feel guilt and fear of failure. That's what happens when when your life is based on works, right? I mean, in some of you, this is a real thing, all right? A step outside of the church, like you are maybe being ruled by rules in your workplace, and you know you have a boss that he is just waiting for you to mess up because he just hopes to fire you, or he's got to release a couple of staff, or maybe he just doesn't like you, and you're being ruled by— how about athletes? You know, athletes, they just want to work so hard, they don't want to get injured because they don't want to be cut from the team, you know, when, when your future is based on your work and when you don't work well, when you mess up, you've got something to worry about. But our faith isn't like that. Our faith isn't about our works. You know, when I became a follower of Jesus, it seemed like everybody was talking about the Bible. Like the kids that I was hanging out with, they were reading their Bible. They were talking about the Bible. The youth pastor was, was teaching out of the Bible, obviously, right? At church, uh, everybody brought their Bibles. Like it was Bible, Bible, Bible. And, and I tried to read the Bible and it was so difficult. I didn't really understand everything. And I was so nervous. And there, I, there was a lot of a guilt and fear in my life as a brand new Christian because I thought, man, I got to read this whole book or I'm going to go to hell. Like I just was reading and reading and it just was so difficult Maybe that's one of the problems of starting in Genesis, right? It's such a long book. And for a young Christian, there's so much in there that you don't understand. I was reading it alone. But the good news is, my salvation wasn't based on 
me reading the Bible. It wasn't based on my works. It wasn't based on my ability to get through all the text. My salvation is based on the person of Jesus and what he has done for me. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own work. When you enter into the rest that Jesus provides, you can rest from working to be good enough to get into eternity. And by the way, nobody can do that. Uh, you know, overwhelmingly, when you ask somebody if they're going to go to heaven, they'll say yes. And if you ask why, they're going to say because I'm good. Unless, unless they really understand salvation, if they really know Jesus. But the typical person just says, I, I, you know, I, I work to be good enough. Scripture says that's not how it works. Uh, for those of us, we find our rest in Jesus. We get the rest from thinking that our work brings us favor with God. It's the work of Jesus that actually matters, not, not how much I work to be good. Here's the last one. Five signs that you're being ruled by rules. Joyless obedience, a sense of superiority from obedience, hypercritical of others, guilt and fear of failure, and a lot of people have no real assurance of their salvation. It kind of scares me, you know, um, because I just want to teach so clearly what Jesus says. I want you to get it and know it and understand. I had a friend, uh, he would pray to receive Jesus. Anytime there was a prayer of salvation, this guy was raising his hand. He was praying the prayer. And one day I just said, uh, hey, how'd you like that message? He's like, I gave my life to Jesus. I was like, I thought you were a Christian. He goes, I do it every time. <laughs> and I was like, why do you do it every time? He says, I just want to top it off. I'm like, you want to top it off? Like, like you top it off, like you just, just in case a little bit of his grace ran out. Like God's grace isn't like a gas tank. You're, you're not constantly topping off God's grace. God pours out his unmerited favor and blessing on us through Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Like we don't deserve any of it. So even a drop of grace would be more than we deserve. And Jesus just pours it all over the place. You know, we don't earn grace through our good works or perfection. It's freely given by God's love and by his mercy. Grace is receiving a gift that we don't deserve. Mercy is God holding back punishment that we do deserve. Here, look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. This is not from yourself. It's not from works. Why? Because if it was from my works, it would be me getting myself into heaven and I would be able to boast. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. The only person who can boast is the person of Jesus for what he has done. Scripture is so clear that you and I, we have fallen short. We fall short of the standard that it takes to get into eternity. We can't do it without the person of Jesus. So let me ask you a question. I'm imagining Jesus standing in, in front of the pearly gates. I don't think that's how it's going to happen, but let's just imagine that that's how this is happening. And you're standing in front of Jesus, and he's standing in front of those gates. And he just says, hey, on a scale of one to ten, how sure are you? of your salvation? What would be your number? Are you really high? Are you like an eight or a nine? Are you, are you a little like confused or worried or, you know, fearful? You're maybe a five or a six or some of you are like, maybe I'm a two. I think I did it as a kid, but I don't know. And then what if Jesus looked at you and he said, why should I let you in? 
I want to tell you, each and every one of us uh, watching, listening, uh, we can be a 10. You don't have to have any doubt. You don't have to have any confusion. On a scale of 1 to 10, how can you be sure that you're going to heaven? Here's how you're sure. If you've put your full faith and your full trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For it is by grace that you have been saved, or maybe you're not. It is by grace that you can be saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. You don't have to do anything. It's a gift from God not from works, so that nobody can boast. God gets all the glory. So if you didn't say 10, I hope that like right now you take this moment to make it a 10, that you have every bit of confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done. And, and let me just give you a little insight on that answer. If Jesus says, why should I let you in here? If your answer starts with the word I, you're not ready to answer that. You got to answer it a little differently because it's not, I did anything. It's not because I was good enough. It's not because I accepted Jesus. It's not even because I put my faith and trust in Jesus. It's because you should let me in because you died for me. You did the work. You gave me the grace that I desperately needed. You were merciful when I deserved judgment. So I hope you're a 10. I hope you're a 10, and I hope you realize that uh, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, and he's enough for you. Not rules, not regulations. And I got to tell you, you know, when you look through all uh, that is happening here in Scripture, uh, you know, freedom in Jesus isn't licensed to do whatever you want. It's the freedom of salvation that comes through Christ alone, the freedom from working for our salvation. I'll tell you this, uh, we should follow some rules, we should live a good life, but those things don't happen because we're rule-following, uh, chasing acceptance from Jesus. It's because of the work of Jesus in our life that our life overflows good things. That's what's true. That's what's good. So this week, I hope that you're able to follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you're able to, to love God and to love others. Let's simplify this and not make all these legalistic rules so complex in our life, all right? Love you guys. Have a great week.